Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're doing it by going to the minor prophet Amos, and we are now going to finish that up today. Uh, we're in chapter 9, and uh, I've gone back over a great deal of uh, what we have already put together in Amos some of the notes that we have there in the side panel. If you go to preparingyou.com, you can uh, hear these audios eventually and uh, all of them in order and and look at each individual note that we put over there on the side to give you references to where we're getting a great deal of the data and information that we're putting in here about Amos. And, of course, because we look at Amos, we're also going to be looking at Nahum and we've already looked at Micah because these, all these prophets are overlapping in their efforts to uh, explain the messages that they receive through Revelation concerning God. So that would open up a whole can of worms to say what is God who is God what does this mean God I actually was talking to some people who didn't believe in God and they don't believe that there is a God and they think that they can see the future and they're telling you know that that AI and all this stuff is going to take over and that, that there is no God and the Bible is all false and of course They don't understand the Bible. They don't even understand what God is. But that is not a surprise because most of the people who claim to be Jews, Christians, uh, I don't know, Buddhists, whatever religion they are, none of them really know who God is. Now, they may have an idea. They may have an opinion. They may have a perspective on God. But us finite creatures... By the very definition of whatever God is, the the almighty, infinite God creator is, we cannot know him entirely. We cannot understand him entirely because he is entirety and we just don't understand everything. Uh, we can have some sort of a relationship with this God of creation, but it's not a mental process where we figure out who God is and we put a definition of God in a bottle and now we know who God is. I mean, we can have little contrite phrases that refer to God or or words like Yahweh, the existing one. That's very interesting how the word Yahweh becomes, the meaning of it becomes the existing one. And Tell you the truth, probably the best way to explain that in simple terms is you have an opinion about reality. I have an opinion about reality. But God's opinion is reality because he is the existing reality, the existing one, the existing source, 
the patterns that we see in nature are there because whatever God is, whoever God is, has created these pattern, which are patterns which are consistent throughout most of the universe that we see. And we see a very tiny little bit of the universe. And we don't see very much of it up close. Uh, we don't, we haven't even seen all this planet yet, much less all the other stars and planets out there in the universe. So th- there's a huge idea that there is this consistency of patterns of atomic structures and uh, molecular connections and all these things uh, throughout the universe that they are somewhat seemingly consistent. Although there's some of the things that we thought were consistent, such as the speed of light they're finding out is not as consistent as they thought. Evidently, the speed of light can vary. Exactly why that is, it's difficult to say. Maybe it has something to do with the density of space. But I thought space was just emptiness. But maybe space is not just emptiness. Maybe the theories of ether and the theories of uh, uh, string theory and uh, quantum theories and all these things uh, tell us that there's something else going on than meets the eye. Scientists constantly seeing the results of things. They cannot see the source of that result. But one thing seems to be evidently clear that we live in a cause and effect universe and there seems to be a singularity in that cause and that singularity of cause we call God. And so if you think there is no God, then there is no cause. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there is no because because there is no God. And things are just all random and we're all just bouncing around in the universe and nothing is consistent. But the reality is things are consistent consistent, and that's what the prophets were noticing. That there are certain consistencies in creation. There's consistencies in the imagination and thoughts of men. And if men go this way... Certain things will happen. If men do this, other things will happen because of this cause and effect universe. And these deep thinkers or men who perceive through revelation, they seem to be just inspired by some source beyond uh, sight and sound uh, that they can see what others cannot see. Of course, if you... If you've lived as long as I have, you see there are many layers of those people who cannot see what other people see. They they just don't want to see it. I actually just had a report uh, dealing with issues with uh, people in the community where uh, somebody had been saying that uh, the grandfather of their children was dead. And uh, the reality is, is I just looked him up and he is alive. <laughs> He's alive and well and working every day and uh, part of an owner in a school and uh, and uh, he's not dead. But they were telling their the grandchildren that that he was dead. What? Why is that? Well, there's lots of reasons and I can't go into all of them even if I had the time. But uh, the reality is, is that people 
want to create their own reality. They alter the truth. They alter things that are real around them. They just don't see them the same as they obviously are. They can look right at it and not see something as it really is. And, of course, we see that in the news every day. You know, I mean, uh, don't want to get into too controversial. I'm going to be controversial enough today. Uh, but uh, transgenders, people think that because you think you're a girl, you can be a girl or a woman. Or you think you're uh, a guy, and uh, even though you are female in gender, gender was a biological term, but now all of a sudden it's some sort of an emotional imaginary term. You know, and it comes from this idea there are no wrong answers. That, that was that was an amazing thing that just happened. Uh, the the uh, fake governor of Oregon, known as Kate Brown, uh, just signed a deal where you do not have to know math or how to read in order to graduate from school. Now she's actually signed, uh, you know, this into law uh, that you don't have to know. How to read or no math to graduate from public education. And the rationale behind this is this is so that uh, people of color and people, what is she had a big long list, uh, you know, uh, Polynesians and, and Hispanics and, uh, you know, this big long list of people of color and minorities, supposedly, don't feel uh, demeaned because they can't read or write when they get out of high school. That That is just the most bigoted, racist thing to do. <laughs> Either you can read or you can't. I mean, your diplomas now, for everybody else who's learned to read and don't do math, their diplomas mean absolutely zilch, zero, nada, nothing. Because it doesn't mean you can read or write. It doesn't mean you can do math. It means that you attended their schools or their online schools now, She's also implemented mask mandates and uh, vaccination mandates for all state employees. Uh, it's just insane. And people are blaming this on Kate. The, this is you guys. This is you because you didn't listen to Amos. Because <laughs> you didn't listen to Nahum or Habakkuk or Jesus Christ. You're not Christians. You're not following Christ. You're not doing what Christ commanded. You're not keeping his commandments. You've gone the way of Cain and Kor and Nimrod. And now despots have risen up because you've become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. What did you expect to happen? You've cut off the horns of the altar. Now I'm going to tell you why I said all those terrible, hurtful things that may have offended you. <laughs> so it's because you're under a strong delusion. I'm never supposed to attack your delusion, uh, according to some. 
but I, there's no way to get around it. Your opinion of what God is does not change or alter God. Your opinion of what gender you are does not change or alter your uh, gender. You, you remain the gender that you are. You cannot change that. <coughs> you get a diploma doesn't mean you're smart. It's not the scarecrow thing from Wizard of Oz where the only thing he was missing was a diploma. Once he had a diploma, then, oh, raptures, I am intelligent now. Well, evidently, that's not the case in Oregon anymore. <laughs> it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean a thing. And they're getting away with this nonsense because you've all been living nonsense. You know, before there was fake news, there was fake good news. Before they dumbed down your children, they dumbed down your parents' children, which is you. You think you're following Christ. You think you are free people. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those that believe they are free. They are not. They are not. And so we're going to show you why Amos was telling you not only that the people were not free and headed to captivity and getting going to be getting into a huge amount of trouble and destruction was just around the corner, which all of which we see today. But if we understand Amos, we know the way back. If we understand Christ, we know where our salvation lies in actually becoming a believer. Faith is probity. It compels your actions. To have real faith, you would not be doing what you're doing. That's why uh, James and even Paul is telling you that we know them by their works, by what they do. And what you've been doing has not been Christ-like. Now, with that said, the spark, the yod uh, of life is in all of us. We either listen to it and act upon what it is guiding us to do or we don't. The problem is, is often detecting, detecting whether we, what we think we should do is the product of revelation of the Holy Spirit or the product of our own personal vanity. I had a number of conversations with people across the country, and I'm supposed to set up conversation with people in other countries. Uh, and I've been contemplating this because I am, you know, I've been up since four. I don't get to bed till eleven or twelve sometimes. <laughs> the the days are long, so. And I never try to rush somebody when they're on the phone. I don't want to cut them off because they're the person before me. But uh, if people want to have these individual conferences, and personally I think we should have multiple people on these conference calls, and, and we have, and we've recorded some of them, and they're up at Preparing You. But we should also organize them in such a way, and I try to address many of the questions that come to me during the week, during the program, even though we're going to be talking about Amos, I'm addressing things that are in the news this week, which are really, were in the news at the time of Amos. And uh, the questions that came to me this week, because those are relevant, because they came this week. Um, and we 
we've talked to you last week about the bootleg fire that was glowing, uh, largest fire in the United States, and it was you could see it glowing at the rim just a couple miles away, and uh, it's pretty much ended the threat here uh, and was stopped uh, at the at the rim and did not enter into the valley. But we also have had one of the most severe droughts in uh, recorded history of this valley. There may have been worse droughts. Uh, all the reservoirs are dried up. The fish are dead. A few catfish are still flopping around in muddy holes. Uh, the rain was so scarce and moisture was so scarce this year The the sagebrush and greasewood are shedding their leaves because it's too dry even for them and uh, I'm putting up hay most of the people who are putting up natural meadow hay are putting up anywhere between less than half or less than a third or even in some cases less than a quarter of what they normally put up because there simply was no moisture that came into the valley so we see this drought and those of you who have listened to us for a long time, I say almost everything that happens in the world happens in our field first. So I would suspect <laughs> that there's, there's famine on the horizon and uh, a drought. And there certainly has been a spiritual drought of awakening. But it's always uh, darkest before the dawn and driest before the deluge. So... Things may change. We actually, I was bailing the last little bit of hay. I put it off a little bit because it was still a little damp uh, from dew and drying out from when I cut it. And I put it off an extra half hour. And uh, before I got finished, a windstorm like I haven't seen in years came out of the north, which I haven't seen in many, many years, and uh, blew the windrows away. <laughs> I have a video of it, and it just, a wall of dust came out of the north and swept many of those windrows away. So there, there was even less hay than there had grown because some of it went flying off to Oz. But uh, to me, these are all messages. They're all telling me of things to come. I see uh, God in these messages. We'll do all right, and God will provide uh, but you know the reason you give isn't just to help other people you know the reason you help other people is because that is the way to your own salvation Christ did not come to be saved he came to save others so if you're coming in the name of Christ you you live your life for others if you just live your life for yourself which is the common so selfish social dynamic of today, you will be drawn to destruction. You you will I mean, when water doesn't flow it becomes stagnant and and putrid and useless. So it needs to flow, and so does life need to flow in you from one to another. This is why to love one another is not merely a suggestion. It is a key to the kingdom. And so that's what Amos was pointing out is that these people were not doing that. And uh, so he was 
shedding this information to them uh, through his prophetic writings, which was a poem, as we said. He was a shepherd. He was called to do this, and he went out and did it. In chapter 1, there was this reference to the brotherly covenant. And the brotherly covenant, I've read lots more on that subject. Most of the people are talking about national brotherly covenant, loving the next country, caring about the next country, keeping your agreements. But of course, that's looking at the brotherly covenant once they had kings. Well, they weren't ever supposed to have kings. They decided to have a king. That was a rejection of God to have a king, to have a president, to have a prime minister. You've already rejected God if you've gotten to that stage where you have a chief executor who will exercise authority one over the other. Something Christ said was not to be that way with his followers. They weren't to have men who exercise authority one over the other. But modern Christendom says it's okay, despite the fact that Christ said it's not to be that way with you. So that there's just one little element of delusion that you think you're a Christian and you're trying to elect a ruler who can exercise authority and force your neighbor to do what you want your neighbor to do. How long do you think you'll be free under those conditions? So in Amos 2, we look at... Uh, the many elements of a healthy society. And he talks about this repeated transgression. And he uses these words that we think are places but are actually representing concepts whereupon you are making transgressions. And I, I just give you a glimpse into it in the side notes and in the recording so that you can get an idea. But he says because of this, in chapter 3, you're going to return to the bondage of Egypt and the Levites, who are supposed to be the ministers of your nation. And, of course, they'll only be ministers of their na- your nation according to the spirit that you minister one to another. You see, before governments will change, men must change. So, the people and the way they treated one another, if they became accustomed to coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority... This is the kind of ministers they will end up in their government. You have to remember, Levites were ministers of the government. They couldn't tax the people. They couldn't force the contributions of the people. Not at first, anyway. They took care of the needs of the people through free will offerings. If you want a free society, that is what you have to do. If you want, if you decide that you're going to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you will not remain free. It's just that cause and effect in the universe. That's just the way it's going to be. And Amos is pointing that out. The Levites who should belong to God have the horns of their altar cut off and fall to the ground. This is what they're telling you in Amos 3. But if you don't know what the horns of the altar are, you don't know what he's talking about. Which is why I wrote an article, and I'm still in the process of doing it, called The Horns of the Altar. I linked to it at Preparing You. And uh, I'm still going through it because there's so much evidence in this simple little phrase that we don't understand and we could understand if we had eyes and ears to hear and see. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So if we're looking at these... Uh, 
these different verses and uh, in Amos and chapters Amos three talking about the horns of the altar being cut off and fall to the ground. We would have to know what those horns of the altar were, and if, and if you go and you study, uh, if, you, if you Google it and look up, or you uh, look up in many of the different commentaries trying to find out what the horns of the altar are, they're going to tell you that they're these brass horns made from one piece that stick out of the edge of this stone altar where people come and set dead sheep and burn them up to make God happy. Well, of course, that's totally fiction. It's totally made up by the Pharisees so that they could get away with what they were doing, which was contrary to what God had been saying from the beginning, that you were to live by faith, hope, and charity, free will offerings, taking care of one another out of love. And they weren't doing that anymore. They had set up a socialist state through Herod where they were forcing the contributions of the people who signed up for their system of welfare through the government temple and uh, if you grew grain they'd be out there finding out how much grain you grew because you had to give a portion to the temple and they would even you know and people had little Cummings plants in containers on their windowsill and they would water them and take care of them they used that for seasonings and spices and even medicinal purposes and they would come to your window and they would count the number of branches because they were entitled to 10% of, the, 10 of those branches. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus was mocking him when he was talking about these things. You know, there, There's a lot of humor in Jesus' parables and, and, and teachings and, and statements. You know, It's easier for a rich man <laughs> uh, to get into the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of the needle. That got chuckles. They thought that was funny. The picture of that, of the camel, because everybody knew then what the eye of the needle was and why they even called it the eye of the needle. In Walden cities, they would have a little tiny door off to the side of the big gates. And you could come through that little door at night. It'd be guarded often, but you could get through that. But you can't ride an army through there. You'd probably have to bend over and kind of squeak through sideways in order to get through that door. It, but you could get into the city if you came after dark and the big gates were shut. And that they, because it was so small, they, they called it the eye of the needle, metaphorically speaking. That'd be common. In a language so full of metaphors. Well, to get a camel through the eye of the needle, that is not going to be easy. You can barely get a man through it. <laughs> so, what you have to do is you unload the camel of all of its possessions, all the things that it's carrying, all its stuff, because he can't take it with him <laughs> through the eye of the needle. And then you get him down on his knees because he's too tall to get through there. And then you got to push and shove and whip him and try to get him to scoot through this little tiny doorway. And nobody would try that except some absolute idiot. And of course that, that, when Jesus mentioned that, I'm sure people pictured that in their mind and thought that was funny. 
That's what you have to do with a rich guy. Got to unload all his stuff, <laughs> get him down on his knees, and whip him a bit in order to get him to the kingdom of heaven because he ain't going easily. And of course, when we, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with being rich. There's nothing bad about it. But being selfish and rich is absolutely absurd. You know, it was just one of the statistics recently when they examined the amount of charity given by Republicans and the amount of charity given by Democrats on a per capita and, and you know, based on the wealth of the individuals. Democrats are far wealthier than Republicans in Congress and the Senate. Not that there aren't crooked Republicans. There certainly are. But the Democrats outdo them. I mean, they... They're, if you're not a millionaire uh, within the first four years of your job as a congressman, you're not doing it like everybody else is doing. <laughs> so, and uh, you might be doing it honestly, but anyway, the the reality is they give far less in charity than average worker at Walmart. The average worker at Walmart gives more charity than. The Wall family, uh, who owns Walmart, uh, what was their full name, Walden family or whatever, they give less on a percentage per capita basis in charity than their, probably their greeter at the, <laughs> at the front door. Uh, that, that is crazy. The, the rich can afford to give half and still be rich. And, of course, that's the idea. People were impatient to do it the way Christ said to do it, so they tried to tax the rich. They want to tax. And most of the people who really want to tax the rich heavily, they're not the big givers in the community. They, they want, the more you want to tax somebody else to provide for the needy of society, chances are the less you are a giver yourself. And see, this is what Christ was seeing. Because that's part of this human nature. When when money is more important to you than love, you'll probably have more money than love. And, you know, and I, I saw this even when I was doing contract work for people over the years. The people who paid the most promptly were, and you were guaranteed to get paid by, were often the poorest people in the community. The richest people in the community, the people with the, the most resources, were often the slowest to pay. Wow, that's just amazing. Uh, but that that's part of that cause and effect. Because, you know, that is what Christ is talking about in his parables. Where your heart is, you know, that's where your treasure is. And so, that's why you see Justin the Martyr, just 150 years, 150 A.D., is saying, explaining Christianity to the head of the welfare state, which was Antoninus Pius, the emperor of Rome, who is saying, we meet every week, and those that have, you know, the wealthy among us, he says in one place, share with those that don't have enough. And this creates the bonds of society and made the Christian community strong. And and we eventually talked about, I think in Amos 5, uh, about legal charity. 
legal charity, you still, which is forced offerings, that's where the government forces the offerings of the people to tribute. You take, it take, takes taxes, income tax or whatever tax, and then it gives it to, out to, in some form of charity to the needy of society. That's called legal charity. It's, it's charity by the force of law. It's not by the force of love. And of course, that's why Christ preached the law of love and the perfect law of liberty because he knew that you will not stay free long, free souls under God long, if you decide to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And we see that in First Samuel 8 and Proverbs. You know, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat. Uh, if, uh, you know, if uh, evil people say to you, let's all have one purse and look privately for the blood of the innocent. In other words, we'll get the stuff of other people. We'll have this one purse, this socialist state where we all own, you know, it's not, there's no private ownership. And um, we'll have that. He says, consent not. Don't go with them because the net that they are creating, you will be caught in. Over and over again in the Bible is telling us this. You're not getting any of this from the daughters of the harlot, which are your Protestant ministers. They're, they're the daughters of the harlot. Because they're not telling you to live by faith, hope, and charity. They might say those words, but they're not going to tell you what it means. Amos is actually telling us what it means. But when he mentions things like horns of the altar, nobody knows what he's talking about. Because they think the horns of the altar, and and I looked it up, I I tried to find some commentary that was actually hitting the nail on the head. And some of them would start edging that way a little bit, but uh, they all think that the horns on the altar were these brass horns all poured and single, so they're all connected. And they're made out of brass. And somehow or other, Amos is talking about those brass horns getting cut off and falling to the ground. And so, if you're going to make a mental image of that, you got an altar of stones piled up, fit together without hewing them, and you take sheep there and you burn them up on that pile of stones. And there's these horns, these brass horns sticking out. problem is, if you don't understand that the altars were living altars from the beginning. They weren't piles of stone. They didn't burn up sheep on them. That all came later when people falsely interpreted the Old Testament. And modern Christians are still doing it because they think, oh yeah, that's what they were doing. Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing, but the Pharisees had it wrong. So now, is anybody going to believe me on that? Well, you know, I have plenty of uh, footnotes and connections on the uh, Horns of the Altar page, which I just altered myself during the break. But, uh, you know, the Hebrew word for horns is uh, keren, which is uh, kufresh nun. But that's not the word you see in the text in Exodus uh, 27.2, I think it is. Uh, what you see there is Kufresh Nun Tav Yad Vav. So where did the Tav Yad Vav come from? Why why did they add that to the horn? 
Well, what's the letter Tav stand for? Faith. Well, what's the letter Yod stand for? Divine spark, that divine spark of revelation. And what does the letter Vav stand for? Well, it can mean connected or it can mean divided. And when you start looking at these words in their original text, and you don't need to do that. If you're listening, I'm only telling you about it because I'm bearing witness to the Holy Spirit. You might be hearing in your own heart. And I'm just confirming it and showing you that, yeah, this, you know, it's kind of like tracking the bobcat. You know, you don't really see a print anywhere. You see evidence of a partial print. And you, and you, you follow it. But if you, you know, like when I was tracking a cougar once, and he led me up along a cliff. And I'm walking along the cliff looking, and I can see, oh, he went here, oh, and I, they jumped there, and, and I'm realizing all of a sudden I, you know, I'm tracking this without a gun. <laughs> I don't know, I might have had a rifle with me, but it was a single shot if I did have it. But I'm I'm staring at the ground at my feet, looking for these tracks, and I'm walking right under the edge of a cliff, at, which has several ledges above me. And I'm thinking, this is the dumbest thing. Because <laughs> that cougar... He can, he's going to be up on one of those ledges and I'm going to be looking at the ground and he's going to be right over the top of me. <laughs> I always remember a picture of some people took and some of you heard this story before but they they went up in the along the rim here where that bootleg fire came to and stopped and uh, there's lots of ledges and, and boulders and everything under this big escarpment of a rim that overlooks this valley. And uh, they, t- uh, the guy was getting a picture of his wife, and uh, he wanted to get this huge giant boulder in the picture, and the trees behind that and everything. And so he was having her step back and wanted to show how big the boulder was and all this stuff. And he took those pictures. Well, the next year when he came back to the Summer Lake Inn and was showing the pictures that he took. Uh, this was all with film camera back in the old days. And, uh, somebody said, what's that? And they looked at, and on the top of the rock, he kept telling his wife to get closer to, a cougar was sitting out there on top of the rock. <laughs> he never saw the cougar. He didn't see it until a year later when he's looking at the picture and then they could see the, the head of the cougar and a little bit of its tail sticking up, but it was sitting up sunning on the rock and he was getting his wife to stand closer and closer to it. So this is, we don't see what's right in front of us. People think that the altars were piles of dead stone and somehow that bound the people together. No, faith is what binds the people together. The exercise of faith that comes and the exercise of sacrifice that comes with faith is what brightens the divine spark. This is why I speak against these people who hand a $20 bill or a $10 bill or a $5 bill out a car window to somebody standing on the side of the road with a sign that says, need food. You know, it's a con. 
That's irresponsible. You're not awakening the yod in you with that kind of charity. You're awakening the appetite and thirst in him. <laughs> That's what you're doing. Charity isn't charity unless it's done responsibly. Remember, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in a time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. But if you go on and look in, in uh, the original text in Exodus 27 too, we'll, we'll do a whole program on it eventually. You'll see all the words there that they're talking about in this symbolic horn uh, that, uh, you know, it says uh, the word, like the word cut off uh, is normally uh, Gimel Delet Ayan. But here it appears uh, Vav Gimel Delet Ayan Vav. So why, why are they talking about that when they're talking about that horn being cut off? And and what is what is the deal with this uh, and thou shalt overlay it with brass, the horn of one piece with it. Every single word there in those verses has an additional letter or more in them. And in every single one of the cases, including the word altar, that extra letter is the tov. If you're reading that in the Hebrew, you, it should just jump out at you and you realize they're talking about a system of faith. And hope and charity. That's what the altars were. If you do not take care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity, you will not be free. And Amos is telling this from the beginning, from chapter 1 to chapter 9. And to do it by covetous practices is a transgression three times in four. And he says this over and over again in his poem. But if you're listening to the modern preachers, you're probably not getting it. So, yeah, by chapter 5, you know, we get into the idea of legal charity, how you're still taking care of the poor, but but the virtue is gone. The spark will go out. You will become blind. You will, you will sit in darkness. You will not see what is coming about. You will, you know, still feel the pain, in the agony, but you're not dealing with the weightier matters that are so important and so much a part of operating a system of faith, open charity by charity, by choice. Because you're responsible for the choice. You give to the wrong ministry who's actually molesting children somewhere. You're screwing up for your whole society. You're, you're giving to ministries who are not telling you the truth of what Christ said. You're destroying the very community that you expect to be your salvation or helpers. And then you can't figure out why they can't see the truth. Have you seen the truth? Are you the yod in the room, the light in the room? You have to become that light in the room. So by chapter 7, he's warning of the swarms of grasshoppers. And we told you that the word grasshopper there is from uh, the word that means husbandman. Who are the husbandmen of your society? Who are the cultivators of your society? Who takes care of the needy of your society? Well, Social Security, welfare, and therefore the IRS, the tax man. They're all part of that grasshopper system. Swarms of offices to eat out your substance. You're back. You're not 
stop celebrating the 4th of July. <laughs> you're, you're back in worse bondage than the bondage of Egypt, where you only had to pay 20%. And you expect to be free. You can't figure out, oh, we got to elect a, a better king, a better ruler. No, it's not going to work that way. So, your dependence upon the altars of evil and the wages of unrighteousness has weakened you, weakened you, but it has also weakened the divine spark in you. If you want that spark to kindle, be still and know and act upon the message of Christ. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Caring about other people's children as much. It will change. It will alter. It will awaken the light of God in your heart. But you have to do it with sincerity and completeness. So, Israel became ripe for this final doom with uh, its priests depending upon the kings forcing the contributions of the people like Saul did and uh, and when you spoke against the king he he was angry and wanted to cancel you because he was dependent upon the king to guarantee the funds that were coming into his priesthood because he wasn't a priest like the early priests of Israel when it was a free nation and your priests are all down there, social welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, and that, those are your priests. And the appointer of your priests is the Caesars of today. And because you have separated the fact that the Bible is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, which was written in the foreword of the Whitecliffe Bible, and which is where... Abraham Lincoln got it. <laughs> so now we're in chapter 9 of Amos. And we need to go through that. And uh, I have links in there to a lot of different things so that you can find your way around. But uh, just focusing on Amos, it begins, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. But we needed to go through all that so you understand the altar is the system whereby you take care of the needy of your society. It is the social welfare system of your society. The altars of the Levites was that way. The altars of of Cain were that way. The difference between Cain's altars and Christ's altars is Christ's altars are funded and fueled by love and charity and hope. And the altars of Cain are fueled by force, fear, and fealty. Subjecting the people and taking away their liberty. If you're okay with that, and most of you evidently are, because that's why you send your kids to public school, which is provided by force, and why your parents are taken care of by Social Security, which is provided by men who exercise authority. It's not provided by what you gave. What you gave is gone. Like I said, Social Security's never, ever, 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 ever been solvent. It was operating in the red day one, and it always has. You don't believe me? Go read the article on Social Security because we take you step by step through the law. Not what you imagine the law to be. Not what you imagine the truth to be, but actually what the truth is. But he goes and he says, okay, 
You're standing upon the altar. Which altar? This altar of corruption that they've made. Smite the lentil of the door that the post may shake and cut them in the head so that the lentil's going to fall. He's going to knock the lentil off the, and it's going to come down and cut you in the head. All of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. Now you have to remember the divine spark is the Holy Spirit. Now this is where it will. When you go a certain way, you cut yourself off from the Holy Spirit. When you go back where you should have been all along, the Holy Spirit may enter again into your life and the yod will be sparked again and you will begin to see that which you did not see. So if you begin to see the truth, do not turn your back on it. Act upon it. Act upon it according to what the Holy Spirit is telling you in your heart, not your vanity or pride or anger. We'll explain the rest of this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So when Amos is talking about these altars... And that God is saying that smite the lentil of the door and the post may shake and cut them in the head. This is, this is Amos explaining in his poetic fashion that the nature of God has already built this into the system. That if you create these altars of force that forget the brotherly love, the brotherly covenant, that now are operating in this covetous way, these covetous practices that we see Peter talking about, using men who exercise authority, which is what Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, FDR, LBJ, all did. (laughs) You won't be free for long, and there will be consequences, because we live in this cause and effect universe. Same as Polybius said, that if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, you will institute this rule of force and violence and eventually you'll be ripe for despots. And that's what Amos is saying, that they were ripe for destruction because they had gone this way, which is why the high priest wanted to cancel Amos. But it's inevitable it's it's not like God's going to come and whack it. It's already built in to creation. You, you're the source of your own destruction because you choose to believe a lie. So the post shakes and cut them in the head. And he says, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. These are metaphors again. He that, now, that the sword may actually arrive and somebody actually slay them, but the reality is is that you will be cut off. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. That the word there that we see uh escape, delivered, uh is Mim Lamad Tet. But uh they actually add an extra yod. The, the yod, the spark of, of life, of light. They will end up sitting in darkness. They, they will, because the deliverer from darkness is light. Darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. So, 
if the yod is gone, if the light, divine light is gone, you're just not going to see the truth. You're going to accept all kinds of things that are just not true. And and you go over to these people that are that they can't see the truth, and you try to rationalize with them, so that they thinking that well they could I'll just explain it to them and they'll see it. No, she don't see it because of reason. The truth is reasonable, but you cannot arrive at the truth through reason. You arrive at the truth through light, awakening you. And so, he goes on to say, Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. What was Nimrod doing? Building a tower unto heaven. Climb up to heaven. But they're actually digging into hell. I mean... The word there is shin, elef, vav, lamad. Also has an additional letter, be it. What is be it? Household. And so, what are they talking about? They're, they're, they're making, by their application for these benefits at the expense of others through men who exercise authority, they're digging into hell. They're making hell their household. They even had symbols like this in in the Matrix, you know, where you're you're actually abandoning righteousness, which is a part of the definition of that word. Your household. You when you sign up for these systems, your household is a household of hell. It isn't really any different than what we saw uh what in revelation what or is it revelation chapter 2 uh around verse 9 i know thy works and tribulations and poverty and i know the blasphemy of them which say they are jews and are not but are the synagogue of satan Satan being the adversary. Synagogue meaning basically a congregation of ten. Uh, that's what a synagogue was. So, what's he talking about? Them that say they are Jews but are not. Well, wait a minute. They were Jews. What they the, the Jews didn't accept Jesus, so all the people who followed Jesus became Christians. No. All the people who followed Jesus at first were Jews for the most part. They thought of themselves as Jews. They thought of Jesus as the king of the Jews. and He was the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. They were all Jews. The Jews accepted Jesus. Just not all Jews accepted Jesus. Some Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. They're not Jews anymore. They've joined the synagogue of Satan, the synagogue of the adversary, which at that time happened to be Rome. Because Rome had gone this other way. But so had Herod gone this other way. And, and we see the same thing later on. I looked it up here. Uh, Revelation. Yeah, this is why. That both in chapters 2 and 3. In verse 9. We see. Behold I will make them. 
of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. So, this kind of, during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, uh, the Roman Empire realized that Christians were doing really good, even with persecution. This small minority of people in Rome were doing pretty good, even with persecution. So Constantine said, you know, let's let's do it their way. I'm going to stay emperor. I'm going to sit on my golden throne. But I will appoint a church to do things by faith, hope, and charity. I'll jumpstart it with millions of dollars worth of property and uh, silver that I stole from other people. <laughs> so, and I won't require that the people repent. Uh, but I'll create this other church. And that, of course, was the Church of Constantine, which the modern, the, the, the modern Christians of those days, the real Christians of those days, I should probably say, would have nothing to do with. You know, 1,200 known bishops at the time, he commanded that all bishops come to Rome, or to Milan, and uh, 319 people show up. And before the meetings were over, there wasn't even 300 there. A lot of them had left. Next time they had a meeting, 150 show up. That wasn't Christianity. Whatever they decided, it wasn't a quorum. (laughs) Pretty much, that's for sure. (laughs) But uh, they would have you believe that they have. And of course, that's what modern Christian religion is based on, these beliefs that came out of these apostate church. That's why they're the daughters of the harlot. Now, how do you get to be the real church, the real church of Christ? Start doing what Christ said. That's simple. Sit, do what he commanded. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Become less and less reliant upon those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Seek the wages of righteousness rather than the wages of unrighteousness. That's simple. I, you, you got your marching orders. Now you just have to decide whether you're going to keep digging into hell uh, or going the other way. Because he says, Thence shall mine hand take them, thou... Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. Verse 3, And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, remember Carmel, we've talked about that before, fruitfulness, the fruit of their society, the wealth of their society, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid, from my sight in the bottom of the sea, seas are people, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. Okay, now that is interesting. The serpent and he shall bite them. That actually is what we're seeing going on today, today in the news, but I'm not going to explain that. 
on the radio. <laughs> so well, you'll just have to figure out what the heck that means. And though they go into captivity, which you already have, before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them, and I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. In other words, evil is coming upon us because we've already rejected God. Now, of course, if you go back to Samuel 1 and 8, uh, 1 Samuel 8, You'll see, that's what he said. You know, their desire to have a chief executive officer, a king, a president, a prime minister, whatever it is, to exercise authority one over the other, even for national defense, is a rejection of God. Well, what did God have in place before that? Well, he had the people bound together, not by contracts, not by covenants, with other men who decide good and evil, but he has them bound together by faith, hope, and charity. How are you going to do that if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about others as much as, including those that you may cast your bread upon the waters for? So although I explained to some degree what the horns of the altar weren't, I haven't explained to you what the horns of the altar are. But if you go the way of force, the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. Again, that's a metaphor telling you what's going on. And that's already taken place, which is why you're a scattered flock. And why you can't do anything about people like Kate Brown. Kate Brown was not Kate Brown was not even the legal governor of the state of Oregon. And and really is not the legal governor of the state of Oregon now. She gets away with it. Because the horns of the altar are cut off. Because you're a scattered flock. Because you're not doing what Christ said. If all the people said they were Christians were doing what Christ said, just generally doing what Christ said, none of this would be coming about now. But in this cause and effect of the universe, because you rejected God and decided to have rulers who can exercise authority so you can get what you want, now you're being inundated by the sea that is washing over your borders because there is no retaining wall <laughs> at your borders. Uh, we've we've got the Canadians stopped. They're not getting over. <laughs> but everybody else and his uncle is coming over the southern borders. But that's the sea flooding in. And the original immigrants flooded to this country to be free. These immigrants are coming to this country to get free stuff. Be free to get free stuff, to take stuff from others through the agency of men who exercise authority. So you're in captivity to the very enemies, the people who hate you. And they, finally, they're making you wear masks and getting injections and you're thinking like, oh, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable, but... You have to go back to where you did wrong when you started coveting your neighbor's goods to the man who exercised authority. So I set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Well, they're saying good is evil and evil is good and that's why they're getting away with it. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth 
the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn. So what do you think that word land is in the Hebrew? And it shall rise up wholly like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. You're back in Egypt. That's already taken place. It's, it's going to get worse and worse. But you're already back in the bondage of Egypt. It's flooded in on the land. It did it way back with FDR and LBJ and Cloward and Piven and all these other people that we write about. But if you repent, if you say, oh, yeah, let's start living by faith, hope, and charity. Let's start helping other people live by faith, hope, and charity. Let's start walking in the ways of faith. Let's start sitting down according to the commandments of Christ so that we will not sit in darkness. Because that's where we've been. Idle hands in darkness. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven. And hath founded his troops in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea. And poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me? O children of Israel. Saith the Lord. Have I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt? Well, if the Lord brought you up out of the land of Egypt, why are you back in Egypt again? Because somebody took you back to Egypt again. You have your golden calf, except there's no gold in the vaults anymore, not belonging to you. You're, you don't just have to give 20% to your pharaoh. You have to give way more than 20% to your pharaoh. You've got rows upon rows of taskmasters. You can quit one job and go get another job. But you you can only get a job with an official taskmaster of the state. Somebody who has an employer identification number. Now, getting rid of those numbers is not going to save you. You have to think differently. That's Repentance. You have to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And you have to put that caring into action. You cannot do enough action in order for God to owe you salvation. But if you're not a doer of the word, you're not a believer in the word. Because belief compels doing. So he says, Have I not brought you out of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kerr? Some of these places have been mentioned already. Again, they represent ideas and we've talked about many of them. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth saying that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel amongst, among all nations. Now Israel, the house of Israel is the place where God prevails. The house of Jacob, what did Jacob try to do? Didn't he try to steal his brother's birthright? Through cunning, through offering him free porridge? 
<laughs> you know, you have so many preconceived notions about these words and these people that it's it once you begin to understand them, you begin to see a great deal. I, I may talk about a couple of really bright and intelligent people, very uh, clever people uh, that had a conversation recently, uh, but missed some of the basic terminology. I think that they would, if I could talk to them, they might start to get what I'm talking about. Maybe the the lady would. I don't know about the guy, but because. Uh, They've they've fiddled with our vocabulary. They they've changed the meaning of words. It's sophistry. But what locks you into the error of sophistry is pride. You don't want to admit that you got it wrong. You have to you know, so but God will sift Israel. Those people who where God's truth prevails in their heart, he will sift them out. He will separate them out and he will be their protector. So you want to be that, that grain sifted out by God that he will restore. Goes in verse 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. They'll be cut off. The yod will be cut off, which say, the evils shall not overtake nor prevent us. We're the greatest nation in the world. You're in the midst of a battle and you're losing it. And you do not even have the means by which to come together to stop it. So this little tiny woman, Kate Brown, is running things in Oregon. Going to make people line up and take an untested experimental drug. Even though they don't want to. It, it is illegal to offer any form of coercion or enticement to take an experimental drug. And if you're a part of that enticement or pressure, coercion, you're committing crimes that you could be tried for at Nuremberg. But I'm not looking to Nuremberg trials for these trials. Because we're all going to be tried by God. And that's part of the sifting. We're in the problem, part, we're in the process of that sifting now. Verse 11, in that day will I raise up a tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. This is one of the big problems is that when they came out of captivity once and they were saying let's build the tabernacle in the ways of old they chose to do it this other way to build stone temple and the old men wept because they realized that they, they were headed for destruction again and captivity again because they wouldn't build it according to the days of old. In the days of old, the living stones of the altars were a gathering of men, and the sacrifice of the people upon those altars created the bonds of love and charity and hope amongst the people. And the, and the feasts brought families together with keeping their personal autonomy, but binding a whole nation together and keeping the nation healthy. There was a purpose in this. If you're 
if you're celebrating tabernacles and you do not have a system of charity that provides for the needy of your society through the tens, hundreds, and thousands in charity, and your people are still going home and taking the wages of unrighteousness from men who exercise authority, you're wasting your time at your Feast of Tabernacles. It's just contributing to your strong delusion. You haven't repented yet. You aren't going the way of Christ. You're not even going the way of Moses. Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself. It is not love to send men to your neighbor's house to force them to contribute to your child's education or your parents' welfare or anybody's welfare. It is only charity if it is a free will offering. And if you don't, if your society is not sustaining itself with free will offerings, it is not free and will not become free. And you are not following the ways of God or the ways of Moses or the ways of the prophet or the ways of Amos or the ways of Christ. So he talks about this tabernacle of David, which was not a stone temple. He talks about uh, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seeds. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Again, you know, Peter talks about melting mountains and melting hills. But that's your systems. That Everybody's going to be free. Everybody's just not going to survive freedom. I, I mentioned that to somebody on a phone call the other day. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. Already done. See, we're already real far. The the mountains have melted already. <laughs> that your prophets uh, that should be guiding society, the, the mountains of Samaria, is now CNN and MSNBC and even Fox News. Those are your mountains. Your preachers don't tell you anything. They're just there to tickle your ears and tell you that you're saved already because you believe in Jesus. And they shall build the waste cities and and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon the land and they shall no more be... Pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. So, you want to be those sifted people who are God prevails in your heart. And uh, I, I went through that pretty quick because I have a lot of side notes that tie all this into the New Testament and our own times. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. There's a number of uh, letters, like I said at the beginning, that are added into these uh, words that are in the original Hebrew text. And very few people 
make any explanation of why Amos is adding all these additional letters to these common words. And with the adding of those additional letters, they're adding meaning, because all the letters in Hebrew have a meaning. And they can have multiple meanings, actually. You know, physical meaning and a more abstract meaning. So, when Amos says, I saw, he's using this word, resh elef hay in the Hebrew text, for seeing. Except for he adds this extra letter, tov, which is the tov of faith. He's seeing by faith. He's seeing by revelation. And uh, we, I've showed you how that, you know, in the horns of the altar, they have all these words describing how to make the horns of the altar, and they keep adding this letter tov in all these words. Why? Because this is a system of faith. You just ask yourself now, are you living by faith? If if you're dependent upon Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, welfare of the government, uh, free education from the government, take care of my parents by the government, you're not living by faith. You're living by men who exercise authority who forcefully compel your neighbor. And so what happens is you don't need your neighbor. And we've seen this, you know, I talked about it 20 years ago, where somebody is being stabbed or raped in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. Nobody does anything about it. Now the only thing they do is they take out their cell phones. But they don't do anything about it. Because they're already divided. This has been a long time coming, and I've warned about it for a long time, but now you see it right before your eyes. And, and the, the people that you're trying to convince are often absolutely cannot see anything that you're saying, no matter how rational you present the argument. They sit in darkness. They cannot see the rationality. They cannot see the truth. And they end up being these, like zombies, screaming and yelling. Most zombie movies, the zombies are quiet. That would be interesting to make a zombie movie where they do more than chatter their teeth. <laughs> but too distracting. But the the picture of it is is the fact that this comes from not living by faith and not living by love, not living by hope, not living by charity, which is faith. Now, I also go on to point out that he not only saw this by faith, and I don't believe that you will see it by my rationale, but only by real faith, which is a gift. It has to be given you. But we block that gift with our personal judgment, anger, resentment, unforgiveness. We we don't let the light in. We we if we do not if we do not look into our own heart, our own selfishness, and, and certainly ask the question, was I being selfish? Was I being cowardly? Was I being afraid? But don't be the judge of that. Don't answer your question. Be still and let God answer your question. And that's a that's a great opportunity for personal deception where you will think, well, that was God. But was it? Can you test is that really the Holy Spirit showing you? You have to. You never know the truth 
you are shown the truth. You don't. You can't possess the truth. If you think you can, you will forget it. So, when we look at Amos, almost every word in the text includes extra letters. Like the word sword. It has a be it at the beginning and a be it at the end. Now, remember when you were digging into hell, that they they added this letter be it. Because you were actually becoming a member of the family of hell. You can only be a member of one family at a time. You, you need to understand that the family, the be it, the household, which is what we call a family, is an institution of God. God instituted the family. Cain instituted the city-state. Nimrod instituted the city-state. The people of Israel, when they chose Saul, which was a rejection of God, they instituted the kingdom. When Christ became that king, highest son of David, he appointed that kingdom to the people. He called out a group, like Moses called out the Levites, and he appointed the kingdom to his disciples. Gave them certain commands, certain restrictions. Same as the restrictions and commands that were given to the Levites. They were to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They could only do that if the people sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and freely gave to them to provide for that welfare. Across a broad network, not just isolated little home churches. We, we see that absolutely clearly in Acts. Paul, Barnabas, they're taking funds all over the Roman Empire, picking up funds over here, moving them from Galatia to Corinth, to Corinth to Ephesus. That was important because there were waves of famine, like that wind that came up the other day and blew the hay away. That can happen. Where are you going to get the next hay? Where are you going to get the next grains? The next loaf of bread? Starvation is a real possibility. You think, well, I can get on my land and, and uh, I, you know, I can grow my own and save myself and my family. You have to be thinking in terms of saving others. Christ didn't come to save himself. And, and I'm sure the natural inclination is to save your family because that is a certain responsibility to that. But you need to incorporate the whole message of Christ into whatever you decide. If you find it's not showing up in your thinking, you have need of repentance. You need to think more <laughs> so that it does show up. So the sword has a be it at one end and a be it at the other end because the sword is a thing of division and it's dividing the families and we're dividing the families because we've gone to FDR and LBJ for our welfare and to the governments of the world for our welfare. And this has divided the families. So families can get into trouble and other families don't really care. Oh, they care a little bit. Oh, you know, they'll help out with this bill and that bill. But it is absolutely clear that we have gone away from the fluidity of a free nation. Because we have engaged in covetous practices. We have desired the wages of unrighteousness. 
can we receive eternal life? Yeah, right here, the meaning expressed in this poem is that there is no escape from the consequences of our choices. To go against the pattern of eternal life found in the commandments of God is the way of destruction. So, like I said, as we, we're digging into hell and climbing into heaven at the same time, it's our own efforts. It's our desire to climb into heaven by our sure force of will that actually digs us into hell and makes us a part of the household that we're digging into hell was also accompanied by another bit. We're becoming a part of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of the adversary of God. The synagogue of those benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. They're not really the benefactor. They just call themselves benefactors, but they're only giving you what they forcefully take away from others. Which makes what they give you the wages of unrighteousness. And what is given them becomes those things sacrificed to false gods. They're going to decide not only who gets what, but they're going to decide what is good and what is evil. It is now good to abort your children. Policy says that we, we have to have abortion for the poor people. Well, I can tell you that she's not getting into the kingdom of heaven any easier than getting a camel through the eye of the needle. The millions of her ill-gotten gains have to be stripped away. Now, this could all happen in moments. I'm not saying she can't be saved. I'm saying that I see no fruit of repentance there. I, I see no righteousness there. But pointing out her as this public figure is not going to save you. It's not going to save me. What are you doing? So, at the time of Amos, the altars were corrupted like the Corban of the Pharisees. And and the whole system, like the money changers, he talks about just weights and measures, you know. You know and and the, 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 I can't remember which denomination he used right offhand, but in the text, we, we did talk about that. You can go back and look it up yourself. But, uh, did not have just weights and measures in their temple. And they were making the word of God to none effect. This system, we've seen it in Micah, we've seen it in others, that they they constantly go back to this. And today it's present all over the whole world. Very few people aren't a part of such systems. But those systems will not bear fruit. And... It will allow, as you bite one another, it will allow the serpent to bite you because you will have no protection from the serpent. And and you have been brought and snared in the captivity of Egypt. You can't just get out. You have to bind yourself to he who can save you by doing what he who can save you commanded us to do. Because if you love him, you will keep his commandments. But everybody is consented to this one person. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Remember, pure religion is the taking care of the needy 
of society through faith, hope, and charity, unspotted by those men who exercise authority one over the other of the world. You haven't been doing that for decades. But your religion is extremely spotted. You've begun to even think that your religion is not the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, but what you think about God. That's just why you have 40,000 different denominations. The Barnes's notes, uh, and I quoted a few of these uh, other commentaries. I went through so many to put these things together so that I could try to awaken you. But the awakening, I can't awaken you. You have to let the Holy Spirit in, and He will awaken you. And if the Holy Spirit, one of the ways you can tell the Holy Spirit is awakening you is, what do you want? You want to save yourself, or you want to save others? You can't just save your animals. You have to save people. We are to dress and keep it, but we have to love our neighbor. So Barnes notes tells us that the city of blood mentioned in Nahum 3 is also mentioned in Habakkuk and Jeremiah. And so we see this same concept here in Amos that city of blood is is sometimes translated not the the word city of blood but they they describe it as the prosperity of the world which of course is you don't want to have your religion spotted by the prosperity of the world, by the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other, because that will take away your liberty under God. The idea of this city being the flesh of my people is repeated again in Ezekiel 11. And, and we can we can just go down and read, which say it not... Near, let us build us a house. This city is the cauldron, and we the flesh. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, your slain whom ye have laid in the midst of it, they are the flesh, and this city is the cauldron. But I will bring you forth out of the midst of it. Yeah, the, the word city in the Hebrew language means terror. It's something to be afraid of. You know, and like I mentioned in Habakkuk, it says, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood. How do you build a town with blood? Forced offerings. That simple. You're forcing, you're taking the blood of your neighbor that is not freely given. And in that process, often you are suffocating your neighbor. Well, just just this week, uh, after years of working on this and bringing it up and everything, we finally got a widow lady living in a shack was paying more taxes than people living in brand new homes. And, and she's been paying it for years and years. We tried to get her to go down, but she was too intimidated to go down. And we couldn't represent her. And finally... We brought it to the attention of an honest tax collector, which I guess there are some. And he said, this is a gross injustice. And he rolled it back as far as he could, and he gave her a refund. Now our taxes are way more reasonable. But it's still forcing this widow lady to pay a tax so you can have free education for your kids and water green grass on the cemetery. I can't think of all the stuff that they have in the it's not 
a system of faith, hope, and charity. And you've become dependent upon it. Early America was great because it did not depend upon the government. It built not only schools with public schools with contributions, not with taxes, but with contributions. But it actually even built prisons, hospitals, everything with free giving and charity. But you buildeth the town with blood today. And that's why Jeremiah twenty two thirteen says, Woe unto them who buildeth the house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Graduated income tax. I'm not saying, you know, don't pay it. Pay it. Pay what you owe. I'm telling you why you owe. We explain this in other areas in great detail. But if, I mean, right now they're debating trillions of dollar stimulus, not stimulus, I guess it's infrastructure bill or something like that in the United States government. All, it's not going to be funded. It's, they're going to borrow money to do it, but the interest will be taken from your labor. It, that's just what you're doing. Your neighbor's service without wages. He works, you know, like I asked my dad who he worked for. He says, until July 1st, I work for the government. After that, I work for myself. He knew. That's a, that's a guy who understood the law. He knew that he's working without wages up until July 1st because he was 50% income tax bracket. He didn't make anything during that time. Everything goes to the government. Sure, he, he got some, but basically what he's saying is 50% of the time, I'm working without wages for the government. I'm a slave in Egypt. This was 60-some years ago. <laughs> You've been in Egypt a long time. It's just the burden's getting heavier and heavier. And and you need to realize that. You go read Ezekiel 9.9, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 22.3, Habakkuk 2.12, Jeremiah 22.13, Micah 3, Hosea 6.8. It is the cities of Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, FDR, LBJ, where the people have one purse. And they bite one another. And they love the wages of unrighteousness. The benefits they get by coveting their neighbor's goods. And asking their neighbor, not asking, compelling their neighbor to work without wages. This is, I mean, the Bible's just full of this from one end to the other. But you wouldn't know that going to your, if you don't know that, going to your modern preachers, you shouldn't be going to them. <laughs> you can certainly do that. free country. But you're back in the welfare state of Egypt, Caesar, Nimrod, Cain, where you're dependent upon legal charity. It Legal charity does not replace the love of Christ. It is no substitute. And the modern church says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. Christ said it's not. He said it's not to be that way with you. But here you are. And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to change that? You know, I mean, that whole idea of the cities. We be the flesh. 
you know, and uh, and the cauldron. I have all kinds of links there where you can go to other pages that talk about that and how that works, as well as articles on the one purse, articles on Egypt, uh, uh, articles on the covetous practices that will make you merchandise, which Peter says. Now, this is Peter, after the crucifixion of Christ, warns you that you will become merchandise and even curse your children with trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of debt through your covetous practices. Making the cities of, you know, the the cauldron, the cities of blood. It's so many places, so many places in the Bible. The civic flesh pot, the flesh pots and cauldrons are equated with social compacts of civil systems of government or cities in the Bible. Over and over again, they are, they are mentioned that way. You know, Proverbs 23.1 When thou sittest and eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, his gifts, gratuities, and benefits, for they are deceitful meats. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not for riches certainly make themselves wings they fly away as an eagle towards heaven you don't want to go that route you don't want to go that way your feet will run towards evil which they tell you also in Proverbs 1.10 my son if sinners entice thee consent thou not If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. You don't do that, do you? It says, we shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our house with spoils. Cast in thy lot amongst us. Let us all have one purse. Socialism. Let us all have one purse. Even the Levites who owned all things in common, which is the same as the early church ministers owned all things in common. They were not a socialist state or a socialist community. They were joint heirs. They gave up their personal right to own property. That's what Barnabas was doing. He had done that back there under the days of uh, Pompeii when they were trying to say that that was okay. I mean, he hadn't, but probably his father had, or grandfather. And But he sold that land and laid the money at the foot of the apostles and started over again. And... So now, everything that he had belonged as joint heirs with the other ministers of the church. Because the church was a separate, called-out body. Always was. I mean, you can go read early church fathers like Jerome in his, uh, I think it's his epistle 146. He says, Bishops and presbyters, which are elders, and deacons, occupy the in the church the same position as those which were occupied by Aaron, his sons, and the Levites in the temple. 
But anyway, we'll have to continue this more on another show. Until then, join us on the network at hisholychurch.org. Come to the Burning Bush Festival, 1st of September. And peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.